know, I was very focused and, on getting my degree, and I loved the subject matter of my of my degree. But you know, as I as I look back, I I potentially would have loved to have just taken classes that would have been really cool and interesting to take, even though they had nothing necessarily to do with, you know, with my major. Welcome to Beyond High Street. My name is Jenny Derrick, and I'm the Dean of the Pharma School of Business here at Miami University. Today, I'm joined by Michelle Girard, who graduated with a Bachelor of Science in Economics in 1987, and also an MA in Economics in 1988. So welcome, Michelle, and thank you for agreeing to be on this podcast, Beyond High Street. Uh, thanks, Jenny, for having me. Really looking forward to our conversation today. Well, thank you. So as the listeners know, during the podcast, we do weave through a range of topics so our listeners can get to know you a little bit better, learn about your journey and your reflections along the way. So I always start with the most important question. Why did you choose the pharma school? Well, you know, when I first started at Miami as a freshman, I was actually in uh, communications and I was thinking I was going to, uh, you know, perhaps go the route of journalism. I'm like so many who who start at Miami, wasn't quite sure what I wanted to do. Uh, and, and I, you know, I went through a bunch of different ideas about my major my freshman year, as I said, from communications to psychology, I was I was kind of all over the map. Uh, and then I and then I took my first economics course and 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 that like so many uh, people I, I've spoken to who who really developed a love for economics. I, I, I had that aha moment. I, I I went into that class not having had any ex, you know, exposure to economics previously and and was just wowed. To, to find out that there were other people who thought the way that I thought. I, I you know, I used to always say, I, I, I spent my whole life always thinking about things in terms of marginal benefit, marginal costs, and weighing things with respect to opportunity cost. I didn't know there were names around all of these things. And so from that one class, I, I was really hooked. I will say that my, uh, both my parents were in, uh, were in the financial industry. They worked for a broker dealer investment firm in, in Cleveland. Um, and, and, so I certainly was a business acclimated, though I, I didn't intend to start out that way. But but between my love of the subject matter and, and sort of that background, it all sort of naturally kept me into, you know, pursuing then a degree in the in the business school. So tell, talk to me before you graduated, you end up with a master's in economics. So what was the trigger for that? What was the motivation? Well, when I was an undergrad, I was really lucky to be working with great you know, professors at at, um, at the university. I mean, that's one of the things that and this will probably come back around to talk about the the great relationships between faculty and students that get established uh, while at Miami. But I had a, a fantastic relationship with a couple of professors, particularly uh, Nick Noble in, in the economics department. And as an undergraduate, we were I was working on research papers uh, for him and with him. And I didn't even necessarily know that there was a master's program and, and that that was a possibility. And as I was getting to the point of, of, you know, thinking about in my senior what I wanted to do afterwards, I, I wasn't sure. And um, and Professor Noble was, you know, made the suggestion, why don't you stay? We have a, a master's program. It's not part of a PhD program because I was pretty sure I didn't want to necessarily go that route. And I didn't think I wanted to teach. Um, but he was like, you know, stay 
get a master's. We'll continue to do this work in the terms of the research we were doing. And, and it was just a phenomenal opportunity. It was not only was I able to continue to doing that research, which was really instrumental in me landing that first job, but, you know, the experience in terms of, uh, of, of um, at the graduate level and, and the cohort that I was with, the close relationships that I was able to form with my uh, colleagues in the, you know, in the graduate program, extending my time at Miami. It was just all the way around. It was, it was just a phenomenal experience. Love it. So, so your first job was as a, um, at the Fed Reserve Board as a research analyst. So talk to me about that first role, if you remember the details of it, and, <laughs> and, 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 and certainly about your early career, and we'll get to the NatWest part too. So as I mentioned, the work that I had been doing uh, in terms of, of research with Professor Noble, I was uh, writing papers, forecasting the money supply. And that really was a, a very attractive, maybe very attractive to the Federal Reserve, who, um, you know, which is where I, I had um, interviewed there. They had an opening. They have, a, they have what is still called a research assistant program. It's a two year program. Uh, it is not meant to students or graduates, I should say, uh, tend to, to go to the Fed they work for economists who are, are PhDs and then go on to do something else. Most of the time to go back to get their own PhD or perhaps go to law school. Some go back for an MBA, but it's a great uh, uh, two-year program where you uh, really continue to, to be able to, to work on, on research, but also have a bit of a real world flavor. The work that I was doing at the Federal Reserve all ended up being so relevant to the work that I subsequently did on Wall Street. So when I was at the Federal Reserve, we were looking at, I was in an area that looked at financial markets and the impact of interest rate increases uh, on financial markets, tracking to, tracking the economy, tracking the money supply and the implications of, uh, of changes in, in, in monetary policy. I mean, all of these things, of course, became very relevant uh, as I, as I, when my two-year stint was uh, was up at, at the Federal Reserve, but it was just a great transition to be able to use the knowledge and the experience that I had gained uh, at, from my time at Miami and begin to apply it in a, in a real world setting in a very uh, academic, but yet very collegial uh, environment. So I, I don't want to put you on the spot too much. We didn't um, talk about this particular question going into the podcast, but I know you've got a deep interest in monetary policy, inflation, interest rates, so share your insights with the listeners right now when you look at what's right in front of us and even watching the markets today, for example. Well, you know, what we've got here is a, is a classic situation where we've got excess demand and, uh, you know, and, and excess demand versus supply, a real demand supply imbalance. The U.S. economy is continuing to still have the benefits of a, a lot of strength from a very accommodative, not only monetary policy, but, but fiscal policy. So, so demand in the wake of the pandemic is, is still quite healthy. And, and at the same time, there have been supply constraints and bottlenecks as, uh, you know, so much of the supply uh, constraints that were put on in the wake of or, or during the pan, you know, the pandemic were very slow, much slower to recover um, than, than we saw with respect to demand. And then in the near term as well, 
you know, obviously exacerbated by the the invasion of Ukraine, you know, the renewed COVID cases in, in China, all of these things have only made supply chain disruptions more prevalent or, or extended them. So, so we've got a situation now where there's just a lot of, of demand and limited supply, prices are moving up. And again, absolutely consistent with the fact you've had very, very uh, stimulative monetary policy. The Federal Reserve is going to be raising interest rates or going to be raising interest rates pretty aggressively. I guess the question is, you know, one, how, how high will rates have to go in order to, to bring inflation back down? Will it be enough to just go to sort of a neutral level at, you know, two or two and a half percent? Or will ultimately it require much higher interest rates, perhaps uh, to a level that risks putting the economy into recession? I, I'm a little concerned about that, quite honestly. I, I've all a long fear that inflation would prove more persistent than what the Fed was expecting. And uh, I'm a little skeptical that, uh, you know, just getting rates back to neutral will be enough. So I am a little bit worried that ultimately it may take somewhat of a sharper slowdown in economic activity to truly get inflation back down to the level the Fed feels comfortable with, back or down around 2%. I mean, again, right now we're expecting, you know, it's, it, right now the inflation rate is 8.5%. We still think it's going to be 4% at the end of this year and 3% at the end of next year. And, the, you know, the Fed wants it to be 2%. So uh, I, I do think it's going to probably take, I fear it will take more in terms of Fed action than, uh, than currently expected to get inflation back in check. Interesting times, interesting times. So you're currently, I'm going to read this very long title that you have, Michelle, Head of US NatWest Markets and CEO of NatWest Market Securities. It's a long title, but tell us what exactly do you do? So, so I run the, the U.S. business here. Um, NatWest Markets is the investment bank within the NatWest group within NatWest Bank. NatWest is, a, is the fourth largest bank in the U.K., and NatWest Markets is the investment arm within that. And uh, we have a U.S. office, uh, and, and that is what I am overseeing. So I, I run the business kind of front to back. We are focused here on uh, fixed income, uh, foreign exchange, and 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 we do capital markets. So we do do some some banking. We do not do um, any equities. We have a staff of about a little under three hundred people. Um, it's a it's a great organization that is very closely tied to the broader bank. It's one of the ways that we really are able to serve our customers well. Our, our responsibility is to help really deliver all of the, the services um, and capabilities of, uh, of the bank to customers here uh, in the U.S. So it's a, um, it, it's, it's an, a fantastic opportunity to um, right now, especially as we're in the U.S. and and more broadly looking to for opportunities for growth, and um, and so it's it, this new role is a, is a you know very exciting way for me to you know it to sort of broaden out and build on the skills that I've you know kind of been acquiring over the last couple of decades. That's a great, and you've been there nearly twenty years, I see too. Mm. So so I know when we talked before, you've got a pretty strong position about business as a force for good, and when we've talked in different conversations, a maxim do do no harm, and a question that you and I have talked about before is that sufficient is that good enough I'd love to hear your point of view uh, yeah well you know NatWest itself is a very purpose-led organization we really um, aim to 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 try to do good and and speaking to what you know you were just mentioning um, you know it isn't in our minds enough to just 
do no harm in in the ways that we operate our, our business. We are actually we are very proactively focused on um, on getting society to a better place. In particular, we're very focused on climate, uh, and you know we were the one banking partner for for COP26. We are very focused on um, on on, tar- on on helping customers achieve their um, targets with respect to climate. We're, we're very focused on uh, the ESG space. We're really market leading in terms of our expertise in the ESG space and in the U.S. That is definitely one way that we've been uh, been able to help our customers. The U.S. is a bit behind where our U- European and, and U.K. Um, counterparts are in, in terms of on their their own climate or, or ESG journey. And so, you know, one of the things we're very focused on here is, is helping um, other companies as they look to, again, do good for uh, for the broader benefit of the environment and society. That's that's just very important. That's really at the fabric of what we're what we're about at NatWest. So I love what you're doing, and, and the leadership you're providing is is just really important. I think you know, when we talk to a lot of companies, we all know that we need business as a force for good. And in fact, Farmer Week's on this week, and I'm really proud of our students who have adopted the theme "business as a force for good" as Farmer Week, and they've got quite a lot of activities rolling through that. So it's fantastic. But to your point, it's a complicated beast, isn't it? Societal impact, force for good, and figuring out where to, what to lean into and how to measure the success of. I, I just wonder if you'd like to add anything to that. It, it's, it is, you know, it is very difficult in some ways to, to provide metrics. I think that's one of the things that, that everybody is, is sort of struggling with. I mean, one of the things that uh, you know, we are committed to, of course, is a net zero target. We're also uh, committed to funding 100, uh, 100 billion in sustainable finance um, and, and, and being able, 100 million in sustainable finance um, uh, for, for that kind of a, 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 a sort of metric or, or a target. Um, so, so those are, you know, our, our own global footprint is something that we're, as I said, kind of with, with our own net zero um, uh, metrics. Um, I, I will say too, in the U.S., uh, where I think the S, if you will, in terms of, of ESG, um, is 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 even perhaps more uh, in focus than 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 globally. Um, you know, we're very focused on you know on our DEI agenda and diversity and helping. You know, we here understand the importance of of diversity of different views and perspectives of thought of, of how that can actually help a company as it, you know, to become more profitable, um, you know, and, and so to the, you know, our, our own metrics and, and helping others to, to kind of provide, you know, their own metrics, I, I, again, as everybody is looking to find the ways to convey to, to their investors, to their own customers, um, the impact that they have, you know, on society. I mean, that, that is something that we are, you know, are, are like everybody else, are, are very focused on finding the appropriate, you know, data, the appropriate metrics, and then, you know, working toward those goals. That's great. I love it. All right, time to go for a trip down memory lane. So we're going to go back, wind the clock back to the 80s, early, early mid late 80s. And, and I'm going to ask you a whole battery of questions about your time at Miami. So when you look back at Miami, who was your favorite professor? Oh, I mean, well, I, I guess I would have to say Nick Noble, because uh, as I already alluded to, um, uh, he he was really uh, probably the, the professor that I was 
closest to in terms of working um, on research papers, but but so many of the economic, Dennis Sullivan, Mark McBride, I mean, so many of the faculty uh, uh, within the economics department, I had very close and important relationships with and, and, and relationships that you know, to this day exists. I'm still in contact um, and, and we, you know, uh, we still speak and, and it, it just, you know, I mean, again, I, I graduated many, many years ago and it just, it's a real testament to the, to the foundation um, and the strength of those um, and the impact I, I also should say that they, that they had on, on my career and my life. Okay, you don't have to name a professor now, it's about the subject that you least enjoyed. What was the subject you least enjoyed? You know, I think it's it's quite funny that um, because I now do it all the time. But I my my finance course, and you know, back in the day, Excel was just getting going, and I struggled with the with you know in my finance course, as I said, and I couldn't I couldn't figure out Excel and how it worked. It seemed it was I I you know I remember thinking I just hate this. I know, and and here I am working in the financial industry um, and on the capital market side, so many of those concepts from finance are what I, you know, I'm dealing with day in and day out. And, and more importantly, I, I live in Excel. Everybody does these days. Um, and so it, it is funny when I think back now on, on that was probably like the a class that just was, you know, gave me so much, you know, so much difficulty and, and it turned out to be, you know, something that I, I ultimately needed every day. Off in the way. What co-curricular activities were you involved in? Well, I was a member of a sorority. Um, I was a member of Alta Delta Pi, which was uh, formed. It, we actually, the, the chapter was organized um, the year that I was a freshman. I joined in, in the, you know, the first, uh, when, the, when the chapter was first established. Um, and, and that was a fantastic experience. I was the pledge trainer. I, I you know, again, I'm, I'm still in touch with many of my sorority sisters um, after all of these years. And, uh, you know, from a social aspect, that was, um, you know, it was, a, it was a wonderful way to uh, complement, you know, the work I was doing on the academic side, for sure. What was your favorite time of the day for class? Oh, I'm a morning person. So I, I will say that I... I never minded the 8 a.m. you know classes. I, I preferred to sort of get up, get out, get done. <laughs> and so, so I, I I would say those um those first morning classes were probably the you know the the best time for me. Ironically, um even though I I you know I I I, I probably was more of a night owl even back then versus now, but I, I I still think ultimately I'm freshest in the morning. What was your favorite night of the week while you're at Miami? Oh, I think Thursday night, you know, that was, I, and maybe it still is, I don't, you know, that maybe it I, seems I so very much, but, um, but, you know, but Thursday night was always a, um, you know, a, a great night to, to, um, to be out and you had the weekend ahead. And so, yeah, Thursday, I would say for sure. Did you intern while you were at Miami? I did not. No, I did not actually. I was, I mean, again, in the summer, we, I would continue to work on the research papers, but um, I, uh, I didn't, I did not, I, I did not intern. I did work at a law firm, but it was a job. It was a summer job. It wasn't, and as I said, it wasn't as if I thought I was going to pursue law, but it was a great, you know, it absolutely was, was a great opportunity for me to um, be in a professional environment. That's good. Where did you live in your freshman year? Do you remember the dorm? Emerson. 
I was down in Emerson my freshman year. Do you remember the room number? No, well, it was on the end. I don't remember the room number. We were on the first floor and we were in a quad. There were four of us and we were on, so we were on one of the ends because that was a, most of the rooms obviously were double, but we had a quad. So I don't remember the room number, but I can picture the room. And I, when I walk by the building on this day, I can, you know, I, I know exactly which one it was. What about off campus? Where did you live off campus? I actually lived on campus three years and just moved off my senior year to a house uptown next to where like Ox College was on, um, uh, I can't now remember what we called the house, but there were, there were 10 of us um, who I love dearly, but that was the last time I ever lived with anybody else before I, until I got married. Like that experience threw me over the edge. It was wonderful, but it was chaos and it was a mess. And that was, like I said, that was it for me and roommates. Good. It's <laughs> <laughs> funny. So what, what's your favorite building on campus? Not, not an uptown on campus. Oh, I mean, at the time when I was there, I mean, Laws Hall was where, you know, I spent most of my time and had my classes. I mean, now when I go back, I mean, the farmer school is just amazing. And, you know, that, that is, and, and that is where I spend most of my time now when I, when I am back on campus and I just, I, I walk around there between the classrooms, between, you know, the, the trading rooms. I mean, it's, I, I just think it's an incredible building and, and how it, I mean, the, the entire campus obviously is so collegiate looking and the, the, you know, the brick and, and all of that. And, and I just think the farmer school embodies all of that and, and more. So, um, so yeah, so I'm not, I'm, I know this is a, Farmer, I know we're talking from the Parvis School, but I, 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 I don't think it's a bias. I, I genuinely think it's probably the best building on campus. I agree. What's your favorite spot in Uptown? Um, we used to, it was like, I think it was called the Balcony upstairs. I don't know if it's still there, but there was like a, yeah, there was a, across the street from, from Skipper's and upstairs, was a, a, you know, um, a bar that was probably our favorite place to go. So, um, so I think, yeah, I would say, that, you know. Where was your that, favorite place to eat in, at, at, while you were at Miami? I shouldn't. I mean, Skipper's was probably right up there, which probably explains why, you know, why I needed to do more of the physical exercise that I, uh, you know, running up there. But, um, um, but uh, yeah, I, I would probably, can anybody say anything other than Skipper's? I don't know. You get a few others, but Skippers is up there. <laughs> Bagel and Dally, Skippers, <laughs> Mac and Joe's. That's <laughs> yeah. true, exactly, mm. true. And a few others that aren't still there, but I yeah, that I'm not familiar with. So, do you when you come back to town, do you ever go back to any of these places? Yes, well, I mean, it, it is you know when when we have the opportunity, we you know we head uptown. I mean, when I'm on campus, for the most part, it's because we're you know we're doing either through the economics advisory board or the, um, the business advisory council. But uh, but we we will break and and. And, and the evenings go up and I, you know, and, and, and go to the you know, various establishments uptown and, you know, and, and sort of relive it. What, so what is the, what was on the corner? Attractions is no longer attractions now. It's called something else that, that, that it's on the. Is, you, is I, it Brick Street are you talking about? I'm not quite, it's, I've only been here two years. I know it's, a, but I was going to say this, but I, there's a restaurant there that, that. Oh, is it the one in the Elm Hotel? 
maybe no we no this is on the corner so but we need, anyway. we need we need kirk or someone else on the corner <laughs> that, that, that's a good spot in there we you know had drinks in there as well yeah but, yeah no, I've only been here two years, so my, my Oxford is different to your Oxford. <laughs> so, so if you look back on any part of your time at Miami, what, if anything, would you have done differently? Uh, you know, I probably would have, and I say this to, to students um, even now, I mean, I probably would have taken more classes of, of that just to try and be interested in. You know, I was very focused and, on getting my degree. And I loved the subject matter of my, of my degree, but, you know, as I, as I look back, I, I potentially would have loved to have just taken classes that would have been really cool and interesting to take, even though they had nothing necessarily to do with, you know, with my major or, or part of my program and a little bit along the same lines with this theme of just taking advantage of what you can do while you're on, while you're on campus. I, I really would, uh, you know, have taken more advantage of the lectures and, and some of the, you know, the, the great um, events that, uh, that, that, you know, and people passing through that you have the opportunity, you know, we get, oh, I've got to study, I have an exam, I can't do this or that. And honestly, you, the, the, um, you know, so many of the, of the things that you can, you know, so many of the opportunities you have, um, you don't realize at the time to appreciate, but I, I wish I had taken, you know, again, a full, more full advantage of. And I'm so glad that you're saying it for the benefit of the students who are listening. You know, a lot of our students want to just charge through and do just their coursework. And, and if, if there's not a grade attached to a speaker, they don't always want to come. But I think when I talk to you and other alumni, it's the rich experience that we offer here at Miami that makes it such a great experience. And to take all of the gifts that we give you and be willing to, to receive them, because that's what really rounds out the college education, I think. Oh, a hundred percent. And I, and as I said, I mean, I've, um, as I talk to, to students now and, 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 you know, uh, kids who are heading off to college, that that's just the, the one thing college is, 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 it's just an overall experience. It's not about the academics or even about prepping for a job. It's, it's a time in your life to do things that you're and experience things that you'll never necessarily be as able to do as easily as you will, you know, that you can in very, you know, easy fashion and attend a lecture, go to a sporting event, take a really cool class. And, you know, you, you take it for granted then, but you, you don't realize that as you start working and then as you get busy and it requires much more effort to do all of those things, um, it, you know, to take advantage now of how broadening uh, it can be to be in that kind of an environment. We're moving on to the third and final part of the podcast where we give advice to the students who are listening, in addition to the advice that has already been given. So, so what other advice would you like to give our students listening to this podcast? And I want you to take the question and divide it in, or your answer and take it in two parts. So part one would be for incoming freshmen and part two would be for those who have just recently graduated and they're out in their first job and they're trying to figure out you know, how to make an impact and what to do next. So I would certainly say to incoming freshmen, in addition, as you said, to the advice we've already given is to really establish relationships, work to establish relationships with, with your, with your professors. The, and that is to me something that always sets Miami apart. I, I really believe the faculty are so engaged and want to be interacting with, uh, with their students and, 
And, you know, as I explained, that was really pivotal for me because it was the research that I was doing that made me, you know, attractive an attractive candidate and, and landed me a job at the, you know, it was highly competitive to, to get a job at the Federal Reserve. Um, and I, and I just think that that the, the, you can, you can learn so much that your, your professors can offer you so much guidance and spending time actually to get to know them outside of, of class and, and are going to see them when you have questions and establishing that relationship, I think is, is, a, is really gives you an advantage um, and really makes it for a, a, the whole experience even um, more fulfilling. Um, uh, for, for those who are just starting on, um, you know, on their, uh, in their careers, you know, one of the things that I uh, really kind of discovered late, too late, probably, um, you know, was is that you, you want to be as broad as you can. You want to always be learning and trying to broaden out your skill set and your knowledge base. And 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 we get very focused on sort of our um day-to-day responsibilities and 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 of course delivering on on what you need to deliver on is is absolutely critical but a little bit along the lines of of taking in a lecture or you know and, and broadening yourself that way I mean talking to people in your organization outside of your immediate area learning um, about what other people do what their journeys have been taking you know, classes or programs that your firm offers to, you know, that in, in, in different areas, even again, to, to just always be broadening your skill set and your knowledge base. I, I think to be a constant learner is is just something that's that's really important and, and be willing to try different things. It feels like you you, 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 you may feel like you, you've got to stay on one straight path. You know, you didn't necessarily do that in college and you won't necessarily do that in your professional career. And it's not even necessarily what the best thing to do. I, I really did spend most of my career doing the same thing and only later in life did I broaden out. And I look back and I think, oh, I would really wish I had done different, broadened out even sooner, you know, at, at an earlier age and uh, and tried some some different things. And so I guess that's the the, the, the biggest piece of advice, similar to what I would say for, you know, for those still in school, just always be learning and broadening your, your knowledge base any way you can. It's such good advice. And I think just when you graduate at 21 or 22, it doesn't mean that's the end of learning. And, and we have to embrace the concept of lifelong learning. And there's so much change and, and new things that we have to take in all the time. I love it. Thank you. So as we close, I just want to thank you so much, Michelle, for the gift of your time and to allow me to record this podcast. One thing I love about being the Dean of the Pharma School is just how engaged our alumni are and how willing they are to continue to find ways to support the school, its students, our faculty and staff and other alumni. So thank you, Michelle, and go well as you continue your journey beyond High Street. Thanks, Jenny.